Welcome back to the Spartan Conversations podcast and our first full episode of season two. I'm recording today from the unceded territories of the Lekwungen-speaking peoples, the Hosseinich, and the Songhees and Esquimalt nations on whose lands I've been settled for nearly four years. As you of course know by now, listening to the land is really central to the season of the podcast. So I invite you to set aside the next 25-ish minutes to do something that brings you joy and helps you connect with the land. Whether that's preparing a meal or taking yourself out for a walk, definitely allow yourself some time to engage the land while taking in this conversation. It's my intention today that throughout this episode, you can also think on how the topics we'll be talking about reflect your own relationship to the land and with food. I'm really stoked to be sharing today's episode with you all, and I'm so grateful to be able to have my friend Christina on with us today. Now, as I mentioned in the first episode, Christina and some of our other hosts took part in the Good Food Gathering that was held back in November. And today we're going to be chatting about how that experience landed with her and how it has impacted her understanding and her relationship with our shared food systems. She is such a lovely soul, and I'm really just so excited for you all to hear what she has to say. So without further ado, please welcome Christina. Hey, my name is Christina. I go by she, her pronouns, um, and I am currently residing on um, the unceded territory of the Lekwungen-speaking people, um, specifically West Saanich, Esquimalt, and Songhees nations. Um, yeah, that's that's me in a nutshell. Amazing. Thank you. Um, again, so excited to have you on. Uh, but before we get started, I have a quick check-in question for you. I want to know if you could create your own kind of candle, whatever that may be, what would it smell like and what would you name it and why? I love this question so much. Um, I would probably be a little bit of vanilla, a little bit of like lavender um, and like a dash of like lemon maybe. I think that's what I would smell like. I know, right? That's kind of fun. Um, What would I call it? Oh, I don't know. Ooh, that'd be, that's tricky. I'd probably call it Christina Calm. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That's perfect. Amazing. (laughs) All right. So now that we can all envision that wonderful candle smell around us, I want to know a little bit more about how you describe your connection to food. I'm curious as to whether that connection overlaps at all for you with your connection to the lands you call home or those that you're currently residing on right now. Um, so my connection with food is I thought of a word that kind of came to mind with that, and it's probably comfort and home. Um, to me, I love that home cooked meal aspect of, you know, just something it connects me to my family. It connects me to my roots. Um, and home to me is also, um, who I'm with and food is a great way to share that with everybody is, is to share home and, and love in that sense. So, um, flavors and all that sort of jazz too. I love cooking. I love exploring different flavor profiles. And, um, I've always, as a kid watched cooking shows and stuff like that. Um, so connection to land that definitely has an, a factor of where I am and what, um, you know, what the land gives us based on where I am and that sort of deal. So of course I keep those things in mind when I'm at the grocery store and things like that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, totally. I really appreciate the connection you make there with food as a point of comfort for a lot of people. I think, and I definitely hope that a lot of us can relate to that, that food has often been kind of a thing that reminds us of going back home or being at home and kind of having that safe space. I want to touch a bit on too, where you mentioned how that kind of influences the way you think at the grocery store, like when you're coming by your food. 
So I'm curious, do you feel do you have a, a voice or a role in our local food systems? And did any of these sessions of the Good Food Gathering change that for you in any way? Um, yeah, I feel when I moved to Victoria um, and I moved from Mississauga, Ontario, I feel like I definitely had a little bit of a transition from the big box stores that we have in Ontario. It's like very concrete jungle and Mississauga is the urban sprawl that is just seriously big box stores and horrible things like that. So when I first moved to Victoria, I really recognized the privilege I have of having all these community gardens nearby. Um, I'm much more aware of local farms and stuff like that because they are much closer to the city, which is a really cool um, and important experience to have for anybody. Um, And I think that's what I notice much more about is that I now have a role in local food systems because I can really, I can access them quite easily. Um, And that's also a privilege, of course, but um, these sessions kind of definitely opened my eyes to what Victoria has to offer as well with, you know, like the Red Cedar Cafe and, and all those really cool collectives that, like people are doing and people care about feeding and making sure everybody um, is fed in this city, which was a really wonderful thing to see. Yeah, I know we've both spoken before about how much of a culture shock that was for both of us coming here and seeing all these things happening that I had, I think we had never really been exposed to before. Um, And I think it's definitely been a great opportunity for growth for myself. And I know that the Good Food Gathering also really opened up my eyes too to how many programs and initiatives are going on right now. Um, but yeah, bringing it back to the gathering, I know that the theme of listening to land was really essential in the panel discussion, and in it, Laja talks about fostering a collective understanding of listening to the land. I'm really curious to know what that collective understanding of listening to the land means to you. What I, the main takeaway I got from that um, was what's interesting is how how landscapes have changed, and so we have also changed. Um, and we have to change obviously and respond to that. And I think that often that narrative gets lost in our society, like very easily in, in Western society. So it was really nice to hear that, that traditional, um, ecological knowledge surrounding that of just, you know, we've seen these landscapes change over time. We've worked within that and, um, you know, we've heard that personally, that was a really cool thing that I took away from there. Um, And so for me, listening to the land is putting the land in perspective of what I am also doing and where I am on this earth, just understanding I have a responsibility to the land. Um, That's something that I genuinely want to take on. Um, Obviously, there's a a lot of of, um, things to consider there, but for me, if we all can at least put the land at the forefront of our minds, it also can change how we, you know, walk on this earth as well and our footprints um, that we leave behind. Um, and that's kind of my main motto. I think everybody should be thinking about the environment and where they are and specifically the local environment that they are in. Um, that that perspective really does change. Um, yeah, just it changes your actions and your mindset going into a lot of things. So um, yeah, pushing that forward is important. Yeah, yeah. I really appreciate what you said about keeping the land kind of at the forefront of your thoughts and in your mind at all times. Yeah. 
I really appreciate, too, your emphasis on how everyone's coming from a really different walk of life and how we all have different approaches to doing this, and there's no one right way to listen to the land, but still having that intention and having coming at it from a place of caring, I think is also really important. So thank you for bringing that in. But I also want to jump to Sarah Jim's portion of the panel, where she's talking about the importance of decolonization. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also mentions that, kind of in a similar vein to this, there's no one definition of decolonization. Um, so I'm curious as to what decolonization really means to you and what ways you feel equipped to decolonize the spaces you're a part of. Yeah, I this year specifically has complicated decolonization for me, the word itself, um, because it Mm -hmm. does definitely Mm -hmm. take on so many different bodies and shapes and and it shows up in different ways. When I read your question, the first thing that came to my mind and the best thing I can do um, is to position myself and consider positionality in everything I do. That's the best thing I can do as, you know, a cisgender white woman. I am, you know, like I can position myself in that this is my perspective coming into it. I have access to these things and this is why I have this perspective, right? Like that Mm -hmm. is just being cognizant of that is maybe the first step I think in decolonization. Personally, I see that, but then it gets really tricky because again, like Canada's society is hegemonic. So we are very much within that colonial framework, no matter how much we want to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is a complicated thing. So that's really where my brain has been specifically this semester as well. Um, but for me personally, I um, my career I would like to go into is education. So mm. if I can try to decolonize education, the best thing I can do is at least have my students understand their position in society um, and and respect other people's positions like at the basis. And then also that might open their minds a little bit to different perspectives. Um, And also just, you know, sharing narratives that aren't shared and haven't been shared in, um, in elementary school curriculum and secondary school curriculum, stuff like that. Um, That's what I'm passionate about. So I hope, I hope to get into that, but we'll see how it goes, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I um I really appreciate you bringing in the importance of locating yourself in these co- in these discussions mm-hmm. around decolonization. I think for both of us as yeah cisgendered white folks, it's so important to really recognize where we're coming from, and if we're especially if we're folks who are in positions of power, maybe that's through education, like you're talking about, where you're at such a pivotal space in so many young people's lives, like some of their first experiences in socialization come from those areas. And I think having the cognizance and knowing your responsibility to make sure that you're telling the right stories and telling it true, I think, yeah, it couldn't be, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, And that actually brings me into another question I have for you, which is kind of in a similar vein to that with your work with that. I'm wondering if there's any other parts of your life where you felt that you've had the capacity or you've been able to kind of act on that, um, decolonization, how you've been able to embody that in your life and what going forward you maybe hope to do with it as well. I do. I do want to talk about this one project I did. Um, So when I worked with um, the ESOC alum foundation, which they're based in Victoria, Mm -hmm. um, we were running an indigenous climate action preschool program. And the whole idea there was having these preschoolers uh, interact and have fun 
in their local environments. So we would take mm. them out to the parks that were like, we would only have a certain radius in Saanich. And there was a couple of parks that we would go to and visit and they would play, they would learn the nature and like they would learn all the things in their backyard, basically just, and understand that. And seeing little kids latch onto that is, is yeah. so beautiful because yeah. they care. They, they, they have that compassion and that, and that empathy towards everything. Um, and that's something that should start at a young age is understanding that, yeah, you should care about, you know, why the leaves fall and, you know, like why they change colors and all these little things and have that connection to where you live is, is, is super important. Um, so that was a really cool project that I was a part of. And I think that place-based learning is, is important um, throughout a child's entire education career, um, career, haha. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's where my mind went when he was speaking about this, which I think is really cool. So yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's like exactly like you said. Yeah, I think that it's such an important part of young folks' lives to have that experience and to be able to do that. I think especially, I know for myself, I was so fortunate to grow up in a place where I was exposed to the nature and my backyard was the woods. And I was just so grateful to be able to have that growing up looking back now. But growing up in a city like Victoria, I think that's so often not a privilege that a lot of folks have access to. So the fact they're doing that, that, that sounds like such a cool program. And that also definitely reminds me of what Mark Albany was speaking to on the panel about the importance of getting involved in that act of listening to the lands and connecting with others. So I'm curious if there's any other ways that you found you've been able to do that in your own life. Um, gosh, I mean, I really loved the work, like hearing from the, uh, I forget who it was, but the one who talked about food in education and in schools yeah. and stuff, yeah. the programs that went on in Victoria man, I wish there was more funding for things like mm. that. Like it <laughs> kind of broke my heart hearing teachers, you know, paying for kids lunches and stuff like that. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's huge. And there's just a lot of barriers that we need to break down over that. So yeah, it was really touching. It was really cool to uh, experience. And also your session was really awesome being mm. and those prompts <laughs> that you had with nature yeah. prompts. That's so beautiful. Like these things should yeah. be um, something that we're doing on the daily, I think personally, just, mm -hmm. you know, reconnecting and, and regrounding ourselves in our space. Uh, these things are so important. Uh, and it goes into, you know, our food systems, it goes into all these things. So um, just grounding ourselves in our environment is like the tipping point, And then we can jump off from there. And I hope that that's kind of how our future looks. <laughs> we I pray. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, especially for the youth panel session that we had, I know Sid, that was one of the lead facilitators for that, who I'm also hoping to have on the podcast sometime very soon. Um, they were fantastic. Uh, them and Genevieve did a really great job of putting together those prompts, and I'm just so grateful that they were able to be a part of it. And yeah, I'm very excited to chat with them on the podcast about it, see how that experience kind of landed for them. But I want to pivot a bit and see if in your own life you've had any experience growing your own food. And if or how that experience, or even if the lack thereof, has influenced your relationship with food and with the lands that you grew up on or were growing food from? Um, yeah, I, I've i tried. Um, <laughs> when I worked at the IOF at the Isak Alum Foundation, we had a garden in the back 
And again, we would have our preschoolers come and kind of do part of that, which was really awesome to experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Me personally, I haven't been too successful in growing my own food, which, you know, it's okay, but I also haven't given it a good try. So (laughs) that's uh, something that I want to do this year coming up. So we'll see how that goes. It's just been, I understand the importance of that, especially from this year. Um, I think... It's really cool. And also just a homegrown tomato is way tastier than what you get in the grocery store. So oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you yourself have any of those programs growing up when you're in school that kind of pivoted around growing your own food? No, um, I didn't. When you asked that, I genuinely went, oh, my God, that sucks. Like, yeah. genuinely, I wish there was um, a garden in our huge massive playground (laughs) you know what I mean um I've gone back to my elementary school and it looks like they have uh started a little garden for for the elementary school kids like I'm not sure what program is going on there so it looks like they have transitioned into something like that but for me and I'm sure this is maybe similar is this similar for you too yeah yeah. I didn't have anything like that growing up yeah yeah, because we had like the milk yeah. program and we had like the pizza on Thursdays, but that was really it. And that, that really, yeah. there's no connection yeah. there kind of to the food you're eating. It's just like pizza party every Thursday. No. And that's kind of, that's kind of where it ends, which is so sad too. And yeah, then like that's, totally lacking out, of course. Yeah. 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 Like Domino's yeah, very like Tuesdays or yeah. whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like what's up with that? Like, yeah. I mean, I think maybe the idea was, you know, we're all celebrating something together and we're eating like the whole idea of like sharing food or whatever. Maybe that was, I don't, I really genuinely don't know though. Like whether it was that, it didn't really seem like it. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, totally. Because I know even for myself, I grew up in a fairly rural area of Ontario and like there's food like all around our school. We like drive past fields of food to get to our school, but we're still, there's no connection to that. It's just like the farm fields of corn, endless monocrop rows of corn we're seeing, but we're not getting any connection to actual food or the land thereof. So yeah, it's really tricky to kind of have that huge disconnect between like the food that we're eating and even, yeah, like the cows like that make the milk that are going into our milk on Tuesdays or whatever that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess how would that, how would having some of those programs we looked at through the sessions, through the gathering, how would that have impacted maybe your younger years growing up in that space? I mean, it would have taught me how to make my own garden. Um, and you know, been much more, I could have been much more sustainable in that sense, uh, through much of my adulthood. Like, I mean, I'm still an adult, I'm still riding it out, but like, I could have started that earlier. I could have, that's, that's, I could have made an impact just from that, you know, in, in my early years of whatever adulthood or teenagehood, whatever you want to call it. Um, there would have been that there would have also been, you know, I would have learned a lot of it's, I don't know when I read, I read braiding sweetgrass and I've read, um, Mm -hmm. her speak about, you know, the three sisters and how Mm -hmm. it's an, it, runs its own community in a way. And that is such a cool concept that I wish I learned as a child because it would obviously give me more empathy to the things that seem 
not living, whatever it is, like a tree, you know, doesn't have a face. So I'm not like, I'm as a kid, you're going to look at a tree differently than you're going to look at a person, you know, all that sort of stuff, I think would have been really beneficial for my psyche and <laughs> understanding where I am. Again, it would have positioned me in a place of empathy and changed my perspective going forward from there. Hmm. Hmm. I wonder having those kind of teachings later on in life, how that's going to shape or how you're planning on having that shape your experience with teaching and kind of being able to be that voice mm. that you never had growing up. So I wonder if you can speak to that maybe. Yeah. I, I think that's the biggest thing. Of another reason why I want to be a teacher is because I wish I had, you know, an adult in my life that had these experiences and shared them. Um, mm-hmm. So I wish, yeah, I wish I would be able to tell my younger self that, everything matters and everything we are so a part of this system um this grand ecosystem that needs taken care of and we have a responsibility to that and i think Mm -hmm. knowing that at a young age would have really changed a lot of my decisions through life and and no matter like it wasn't as accessible for me in in ontario for sure so i can forgive Mm -hmm. myself Mm -hmm. um but yeah, there's more to it than just these big box stores. And <laughs> I think that's important. <laughs> totally. Yeah, totally. Um, and then were there any foods that you connected with as a kid or kind of when you were younger that you've kind of maintained throughout your life? Or are there any that you kind of really feel that you miss? <laughs> uh, I have one memory of me like begging my mom to get me a coconut at the grocery store. And for no reason, I just wanted to try to open a coconut. Like that was the whole thing. I don't think I actually ended up ever opening it. And I ended up just giving it a haircut (laughs) and loving it as a coconut, which just makes me laugh. (laughs) I still love coconuts. Um, I love the flavor profile of a coconut. So I guess that has carried through with me. Um, Yeah. I don't know yeah. if there's that, any other food. That's really cool, too. Yeah. I guess it kind of speaks to that, that childlike wonder of food, too. Like, you see this kind of very strange fruit that we're not used to up in, I guess, like, yeah, Mississauga, Ontario. We don't really get that at all. Yeah. Um, and then seeing this, like, really yeah. unique fruit in the grocery store. But even then, like, it's so divorced from its, like, existence, like, on a coconut tree. And then we only see that in, like, picture books and stuff like that. So, like, even that yeah. kind of, like, speaks to, like, the lack of connection there between, like, where the food is actually coming from, which is so interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? It's so weird. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, Christina, I have one last question for you. Um, It's kind of a question that we like to use to wrap up our episodes on the podcast. And I just want to know if you could envision a perfect future of our food system, what would that look like to you? I would love to see more projects on soil remediation because our soil health is our mental health too. Um, I think that we, it's all connected, all of those probiotics and everything like that is our livelihoods. Um, And I'd like to see more of that in the future, but I also do think everybody should have access to a garden bed. I would, I think that would be really cool if we could see that uh, so that people could grow their own food Um, There is a lot of community outreach and giving free seeds and stuff like that, which is super cool. So um, seeing more of that and encouraging, just encouraging more people, more households to do that would be really awesome. Um, And yeah, I'm like, obviously I want food security for all as well. Like that would be really wonderful. 
And I wonder if that, if having our own garden beds would kind of add to that. So I wonder. Yeah, I know yeah. two examples that pop into my mind are West Coast Seeds and Victoria Seed Share that um, do a lot of really cool work with disbreeding and sharing seeds. Yeah, I, I really couldn't agree more how much better off it feels that we would be if just like having that basic access for everyone to be just, it would just be so lovely. So yeah, thank you for bringing it in. But that brings us to the end of today's episode. Uh, Christina, thank you so, so much for being on. It was such a pleasure to have you on. And I'm so excited for this episode to go up and for everyone to hear what you have to say. I really, I really appreciate it all. Thank you. Well, thanks for the opportunity, though. That's so sick. And I, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love this. This is really awesome. I want to get involved in some of these things in the new year, too. So, Christina, I'm so excited to see what this new year holds for you. Thank you again so, so much for being on the podcast. To all of our listeners, thank you again so much for listening to today's episode. And I really hope you're able to find some time to connect with the land while listening to this. Hope you all enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed recording it with Christina. We will be back with another episode very, very soon. So until then, stay tuned. And thank you again so, so much. Bye.